In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. It's time for Sex Talk with Lou. Lou Paget on Toginet. So, have you ever wondered if you're normal or why you feel distant from your partner? Why they keep doing that? Want to recreate a truly connected relationship? Or wondered, how do I tell my partner or kids about things? Then this is your chance to be a fly on the wall and learn about one of the most important parts of our health, our sexual health. Lou Paget is a certified sex educator, an international best-selling author, and not only will Lou and her guests discuss the most current research, they will put you at the head of the class on good, solid, scientifically-based information and how it will impact you and your family. Known for delivering information about sexuality and relationships, sans the sleaze factor, while retaining all the accuracy, fun, and the you're kidding factor. Let's get to it. Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet. And now, here's your host, Lou Paget. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for being with us this evening. Tonight, I have an awesome guest. This gentleman is truly an icon in our field. And so we're going to be able to have a range of discussions from sexual compulsivity to gender identity to transgender to World Health Organization definition of sexual health. And without further ado, I would like to introduce Dr. Eli Coleman. Eli, are you on with me? I am. (laughs) Darling, this is going to be fun. Dr. Coleman is a professor at the University of Minnesota. He is also the chair in sexual health, and he is the director of the program in human sexuality at the University of Minnesota that's associated with the medical school there. And I've known Eli for mm, 15 years, 12, 15 years. A few years. A few. (laughs) And the reason I wanted, and truly, When I say Eli is an icon in our field, he has been acknowledged by just about every organization from the research side to the psychological side and to, and worldwide. And he's also has his finger on the pulse and is, he's like the, you, you're like the Pied Piper, Eli, how you draw people in and just they sort of follow you from the, you know, the focus and the interest areas, and you make everything so much fun. Well, I must tell you, <laughs> I well, didn't say that. it's supposed to be. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed it is. And you know what I've never asked you? Uh-huh. How did you actually get into the area of sexual, you know, concentrating on sex? Everyone asks me, so I'm going to ask you. Well, I think that that is always an interesting question, and it certainly was. I was one of these uh, strange uh, children who knew from a very early age that uh, I wanted to be a uh, psychologist. Um, And uh, so that was my career objective mm-hmm. and uh but i always saw myself as a generalist and uh when i came to the university of minnesota to finish my doctorate um again i was really looking to uh 
go into uh, counseling psychology and help people with a myriad of things. Mm-hmm. And I ran into the program in human sexuality, which was at the medical school there. And uh, I thought that was kind of interesting uh, that they had such a program. And uh, in fishing around for ideas for my dissertation, I started to think about doing something in the area of uh, sexuality. And uh, so I picked a, a topic with talking to the faculty uh, there. Mm-hmm. And uh, even after I finished my dissertation, I thought about really going on to a more gener- general area, but they offered me a job, and I was exhausted from the process of my dissertation. So I said, well, I'll do it for a couple years, mm-hmm. and then I'll just, you know, go back. And uh, and that was, uh, that was about 30, 33 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the accident theory of uh, career development. But but here's you know here's the thing you showed up at the time to you know step into it. It was an exciting time. Uh, you know, it was still uh, we were just still in the midst of the sexual revolution, um, and we knew nothing. Uh, you know, lots of people were exploring many different things, but we knew from a scientific standpoint very little. And mm-hmm. I think what intrigued me about going into the the field is that there were just unending. Uh, questions that we really didn't know anything about, and uh, and I have to say that what continues to intrigue me is that we have unending questions that we know nothing about. <laughs> you know, I as soon as you said that, I said, "Can we say ditto?" And it continues. Yeah, really, that's what makes it uh, still very, very exciting and lively. And uh, but you. You would do a little bit of research in in an area, and all of a sudden you were uh, you were an instant expert because nobody else knew anything. You know, that's um, one of the things I do find in this day and age is that because with the internet, there are so many people who do represent themselves as being experts when they truly have no business doing so. Um, well, that is a problem. That is a problem. Now, if what do you see, given that there's the unending questions going forward, where do you think the most exciting area for someone, let's say someone's listening to this, they're a student, they're going, you know, I might like to go into that area. What would you say are the, air, you know, the little rays of where people can look and really make a contribution with doing research? Uh, well, first of all, the, the, the way that someone can make the best contribution is uh, do, do something in an area that uh, they are curious about. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't, don't pick something that uh, is the, the, the menu of the day um, uh, because I think that your, your passions really will, uh, will really, you'll make a much better contribution if you follow that that kind of uh, uh, path. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as I say, there is, in any area of sexuality today, there is so much that either there's nothing really been done about or there is, uh, you know, a, a body of work, but there are unending, unending paths of which to follow and to uh, learn something about. 
you mentioned uh, that we might talk about uh, the area of uh, transgender health, for example. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, this is a very intriguing area, and we just finished uh, reviewing and are in the process of uh, of uh, revising the uh, World Professional Association standards of care for the treatment of transgendered individuals. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we just finished reviewing all of the literature on that, and fortunately, there's a lot more than what we had when the first standards were established in 1979. But we continually identified over and over again the tremendous gaps in our, our, our true scientific understanding of what we were doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's just... Now, can you define for people what is the difference... Because sometimes people smush all of these terms together and they're not clear on them. What is someone who is transgender, what is someone who is, they refer to as transsexual, and what and where does this fit in with cross-dressing? Uh, all uh, different concepts uh, and important distinctions to make. So transgender has emerged as an umbrella term for anyone who transcends culturally defined norms of, of uh, gender. Mm-hmm. Uh, this could include someone who cross-dresses to wears, uh, and again, this usually uh, uh, applies to to males because there's more rigidly defined norms of what men wear than what women wear today. Truly. Uh, and uh, so there, we, we mainly talk about male cross-dressers. Uh, and uh, and then transsexuals are people who really uh, have a um, their gender identity is is very different what their mind's eye or vi- vision of themselves uh, is and they really want to have their body conform to how they view themselves so they want to go through hormonal and surgical uh, sex re- reassignment. Although some people choose to just alter certain parts of their body, but basically that they really want to transition from that male to female or female to male uh, gender status. Okay. For not that we have had you know um, or spoken to him, what would you say for Chaz Bono? Where does Chaz Bono fit on this spectrum? I don't know because uh, I don't know Chad Bono, and I never... Chad Bono, Chastity Bono, Mm -hmm. Cher's son? No, I know know who you're talking about, but Mm -hmm. I would would never really uh, diagnose or assess or anyone that I know as a a personality and Mm -hmm. not somebody that I really knew something about. Thank you for that. (laughs) I am appalled when professionals diagnose that about and 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 they're diagnosing by the media, and it's like, what are you doing? Yes, terrible. Now we have probably one minute until our first break. Um, Can you just quickly tell people at what age do most people? For example, realize that, or children realize that their body doesn't match up with how they feel. Well, they, you know, different 
I mean, when you're two or three years old, one day you're a girl, one day you're a boy. (laughs) But then it's usually consolidated by the age of three or four. Okay. Uh, for 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 most people, uh, for other people, they may uh, go on to question or or not feel uh, that their body is is as they view themselves. Uh, it oftentimes becomes much more acutely. People become more acutely aware if they have this difference at the age of puberty when there's all the sexual all changes the body, going all on. the body, the body changes. And now, uh, we have a, we're going we're going to our break right now, Eli. We'll okay. come back. Eli Coleman is my guest, and we're going to come back, continue on transgender and a range of different subjects. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. The trick to getting published with your host, Florence Blake. Friday nights at 9, 8 central on TogiNet.com. Flo has seen it, done it, and now can share from her experiences as a newspaper staff reporter, feature writer, freelance editor, and college writing instructor. And now Flo has authored a system whereby her students enjoy a 90% success rate in attaining publication of their manuscripts for the first time. In just four years, she has over 800 of her own articles published in national magazines, newspapers, and anthologies. Author of several books, including the powerful memoir, The Sicilian Nobleman's Daughter, Florence has advised and edited professors, deans, PhDs, and hundreds of students' writings before submission. And now it's your turn. Join us Friday nights with your questions. Most of Flo's students say they've learned much and thoroughly enjoyed the journey. It's The Trick to Getting Published with your host, Flo Blake. Friday nights at 9, 8 central on toginet.com. Multi-ethnic church with Mark DeMoss. Thursday afternoons at 1, noon central is a show that passionately addresses the question, if the kingdom of heaven is not segregated, then why on earth is your local church? They call us Yes, increasingly, our diverse population and the diverse families it's producing is reshaping the face of the local church as people are beginning to recognize the power and beauty of walking, working, and worshiping God together with others of different backgrounds. How can your church overcome the obstacles, and why should you even try? Join a live chat with guests from around the country and the world to learn the effectiveness of churches in the 21st century beyond race and class distinction. This show has its pulse on what it will take for the church to find real reconciliation in our generation. So tune in for the Multi-Ethnic Church with Mark DeMoss, Thursday afternoons at 1, noon central, here on toginet.com. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Lou Paget, and my guest this evening is Dr. Eli Coleman, Chair in Sexual Health at the Program in Human Sexuality, University of Minnesota. 
And before the break, we were speaking um, about transgender. And by the way, that lovely music was created by my friend Bob Robinson, that intro and outro music. Eli, when parents might see, you know, like uh, a child that is, would be identified as a boy saying, no, I don't want to wear that. I, I, I'm not interested. Uh, you know, not, they wouldn't say I'm not interested at three, but they were just like, no, I, I want to wear this. What can parents do to support that child and, and give themselves some more understanding? Are there websites they can go to? Are there places where they can go and educate themselves? Well, I, I think that's, uh, you know, really a very complex uh, issue um, that a parent would have to deal with. And I think that they would be best to really um, consult a professional that really works with those kinds of issues. Mm-hmm. Um, there, you know, there is, uh, as we, I think you talked about, uh, varied information on the on the internet and uh and i think i'd like to i would want to visit with someone who had some some real expertise in this area because each situation is so different and and unique and uh and you know my experience is is uh when a parent is concerned um that uh, i never hand them a book um mm-hmm. I, I I really want to hear and I want to really try to educate um, how they might best deal with that situation because, you know, if they read something there, they may project all sorts of things that uh, may mm-hmm. not be true about their child. Mm-hmm. Does WPATH have a list of people that if someone wants to talk to, to a professional? Um, WPATH has a list of, of uh, professionals, and that's a good source. Uh, the World Professional Association for Transgender Health um, has a website, and they have a list of professionals that are members of that organization and, and uh, are, are experts in the, in the, in the field. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Now, may we bounce to our next subject, which is something that's a bit of a hot potato in our field. There doesn't seem to be an agreement on uh, is there the definitions of sexual addiction mm-hmm. and sexual compulsivity. Are they one and the same? And I know for you, you are like one of the go-to people for sexual you know, compulsivity. Can you give the audience and people... The de- you know, if there's a definition, and is it the same for women as it is for men? Because I know, I believe the majority of your focus has been men having sex with men. Uh, actually, uh, my, my, the most uh, typical uh, person that I work with is uh, is a heterosexual man in a in a, in a relationship. Uh, I certainly have done a lot of work with. Uh, Men who have sex with men, men but uh, the predominant uh, kind of uh, person is, is uh, you know, um, in their 30s, 40s, uh, is in a relationship with uh, with a woman, and uh, this is uh, a problem that comes out in in the relationship. Uh, certainly, there are men uh, who have sex with men, and this is an issue for them, but and 
are they disproportionately represented in this uh, sample of, of people with uh, this kind of problem? Uh, we don't have any really good epidemiology of this of this problem. And one of the reasons is we don't even know what to call it, and we don't have any clinical criteria to say what it really is. And first of all, I have to, I have to say that I used to use uh, the term sexual compulsivity a long time ago, mm -hmm. and then I changed that to using the term compulsive sexual behavior, mm -hmm. and now I use the term impulsive compulsive sexual behavior, which is a mouthful, and the media doesn't like it. But I have to use a term that is really uh, descriptive of the of the symptom, uh, and without assuming what is driving uh, uh, driving that problem. And uh, sexual compulsivity almost assumes that it's sort of a a variant of obsessive compulsive disorder, mm -hmm. and uh, and for some people it is more of a of a compulsion, but uh, you see many more people that have more problems with impulse control than okay. compulsive drive. And one of the important things is to really kind of make that kind of distinction because the treatment approach would be very di different from one uh, to the other. Okay. Can you tell me... What would be the difference between an impulsive behavior and a compulsive behavior? And do well, impulsive uh, behavior is one that the person is uh, constantly obsessing about a, a certain behavior, uh, not feeling good about, not wanting to do it, um, and uh, but. Feels rather uh, driven to uh, engage in the in the in the behavior and tries to resist uh, engaging in the behavior, but uh, just the, the the drive just overcomes any kind of uh, of will, and so they feel very out of control in terms mm -hmm. of their sexual behavior, and they and they're oftentimes struggling with this on a on a daily uh, hourly minute. Sort of basis. Now, would this? Can you, what would be one of the behaviors, Eli? Wanting to masturbate, um, masturbate to porn, um, finding someone you know, a complete stranger to have sex with. What would be right. one of those things that would be, be in their any brain? Of those kinds of things. Any kind of sexual behavior um, can ta be taken to its obsessive compulsive extreme. So it could mm -hmm. be. Um, you know, just looking for a sexual partner, looking for a lover, um, looking for love in a relationship, uh, or looking for sex in a relationship. It could be uh, sex with yourself. It could be uh, a fixation on an unattainable partner. It could be uh, looking at erotica. It could be looking at erotica on the Internet. Um, mm -hmm any kind of sexual behavior that is really kind of normal, functional, healthy, um, can can become rather uh, obsessive and compulsive. Okay. Now, when or, we say... Or it could be a problem of impulse control so that every once in a while 
not every day necessarily, but under certain kinds of circumstances, oftentimes under some kind of stressful situation or just in an environment uh, that all of a sudden uh, the, the, the urge is there and there is, uh, you know, without much thought, all of a sudden the person is, is finding themselves engaging in something. And, you know, in both types, that they really cause negative consequences for themselves or others. And, mm-hmm. uh, again, with both types, it's not something that happens once in a while. This is a very, very pervasive pattern. I always describe it as a quantum leap beyond what you could possibly imagine as being, uh, you know, healthy. And, uh, again, we none of us eat completely right, none of us uh, exercise right, none of us work completely right. So, again, we're all that continuum of healthy to problematic. And then there is, uh, I believe, a clinical syndrome that we might call impulsive-compulsive sexual behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first heard Abbott, you know, described that way, it was when I had... Um, Doug Braun Harvey on, along with um, the person he, you know, the other therapist he works with, Michael Vigorito. And what I know that I see within on our, you know, uh, boards and the things that come through within our peer groups is that people are very angry about the term sexual addiction being applied to people. And again, as we said before, it's often someone within the media who's diagnosing someone mm-hmm. or making that statement. Mm-hmm. And well, I think it's a very, you know, unfortunate, uh, uh, popularized uh, term, but that's what's happened. You know, we're, the, this word addiction is being has been thrown around. It's it says as meaningless as the term neuroses. Uh, <laughs> is that, uh, you know, and that's why we have really abandoned that term in, in, in psychology and psychiatry because it just became meaningless. Everybody was neurotic. And uh, now everyone is addicted to chocolate and shopping and uh, whatever the latest. And we've got a 12-step approach for every uh, kind of excessive uh, problematic behavior that we can imagine. And... Uh, <laughs> Humans are so hilarious, aren't we? <laughs> well, again, in some ways, there uh, there is uh, as a metaphor. You know, it 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 sort of works, but it obscures the the dis- differences between an alcohol or drug addiction and some sort of dysregulation of a of a normal appetitive drive. Mm-hmm. And um, and the problem too is that when you try to apply a treatment approach that has that works, let's say for uh, treating alcoholics, and you try to apply that to someone with an eating disorder, there may be some similarities, but there are distinct differences. Different differences. You don't yeah. ask people to stop eating. Exactly. Now, we're going to go to break right now. My guest is Dr. Eli Coleman. We will come back afterwards. The two of us can't stop talking. Please stay with us. (laughs) 
This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. Season Me is on Toginet, a delightful, thoughtful, serious, and not-so-serious call-in show with Cecil Murphy and Twyla Belk. Tuesday nights at 8, 7 central on Toginet.com. You know Cease is the veteran author from 90 Minutes in Heaven, Gifted Hands, When a Man You Loved Was Abused, and many other books, as well as a mentor for writers. And Twyla Belk is an effervescent force known as the Gotta Tell Somebody Gal. She's also a writer and motivational speaker who's always bragging on God. For more on Cecil Murphy, go to his website, Cecil Murphy, that's P-H-E-Y dot com. And for Twyla, GottaTellSomebody.com. The show, Season Me, is a far-reaching, faith-based, shared conversation and call-in show with questions welcomed. A chance to get everything out in the open. From questions about writing, to surviving sexual abuse, to the topics of the day. All from a Christian worldview to help you. Season Me, Cecil Murphy, Twyla Belk. Tuesday evenings at 8, 7 central on Togenet.com. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for you to be a rock star. Get ready to rock with Rock Talk and Craig Deswalt and learn how to achieve rock star status in your industry every Tuesday afternoon at 2, 1 central on Togenet.com. Craig Deswalt is the creator of the Rock Star System for Success. Craig will share easy tips and strategies on how entrepreneurs and businesses can use outside-the-box marketing strategies to stand out from the competition. Each high-energy show will feature interviews with celebrity rock stars as well as business rock stars. For more on Craig, the show, and the Rockstar Marketing Boot Camps, check out the website, CraigDuswalt.com, so you can learn how to be perceived as an expert and celebrity in your field, so more people come to you to buy your services and products. Then, get ready to be a rock star with Rock Talk and Craig Duswalt. Tuesday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Tugginet.com. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on Toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Welcome back, everyone. Tonight, my guest is Dr. Eli Coleman, who is the sex- chair in sexual health at the program in human chair in sexual health, University of Minnesota, and he is also the head of the program of human sexuality there. Before the break, we were discussing. And I love that. I love your comment, Eli. That the treatment for whether it is, you know, an alcohol addiction or a drug addiction, you know, there may be some of the things that can be applied to when people say they have food addictions, but you can't tell people to stop eating. That's right. Uh, You don't need to shoplift. You don't need to gamble. You don't need to set fires. You don't have, you know, you don't need to use drugs, but you do need to be sexual mm-hmm. in some way. You have to have sexual thoughts, fantasies. They're, that's really a normal, appetitive drive. And uh, so some people that get dysregulated and um, they, 
<clears throat> they need to moderate, and we help them really kind of get their behavior, serving a, a, them a self-fulfilling <clears throat> and other-fulfilling purpose. Mm-hmm. Now, when you say dysregulating, what do you mean? Well, I mean that there is um, a something is that that drive is somewhat either it's on overdrive or on, and, you know in some cases on the underdrive, so that the 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 healthy uh, pattern is somehow distorted. Okay, what would be a, and I know this cannot, in the overall umbrella, what would be some of the treatment choices or therapeutic choices that you would use? And I know every single one of them, it's kind of like you're doing a custom design for whatever someone is dealing with because each thing is, each person in each situation is so unique. What well, would be like all on, on when, a when people spectrum? develop some sort of problem, uh, uh, we oftentimes start with, uh, uh, you know, just trying to do some brief, uh, brief counseling, psychotherapy, psychoeducation. A lot of people can get into bad habits or, uh, you know, uh, unhealthy patterns, and uh, and through through some brief uh, therapy, they can understand what what's going well, what's not going well, and uh, start to really uh, direct uh, their energies in a positive direction. Um, for when it is a clinical syndrome, the, 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 the hallmark is that lack of, lack of control despite insight. And mm-hmm. so we need to engage in a much more in-depth uh, psychotherapy, and we oftentimes take advantage of adjunct uh, pharmacotherapy. So we're mm-hmm. doing talk therapy, and we're also using certain kinds of medications that can help uh, with uh, some of the problems that are going on in the brain, that there is some sort of dysregulation, not just in behavior, but in terms of uh, neurohormonal uh, action. Okay. Now, and I'm, I'm sorry I said initially that you do, you know, work mainly the studies. What I was thinking of were the studies of men having sex with men online. Uh-huh. That's, that's where I had gone to from uh-huh. a sexual health safety standpoint. Uh-huh. So now, do are women coming in to see you? Yes, uh, in much uh, less numbers mm-hmm. than, than men. And... Uh, and we're not, you know, sure that that is that women don't experience these uh, issues, but there is uh, uh, a lot of um, concern when a man strays out of their uh, of what is uh, expected of of them, and the consequences are are uh, quite serious. And uh, so, and it's. Uh, you know, men and women are really constructed very, very differently. Men are much more interested in in looking at uh, internet erotica than uh, w- than women are. They're just much more visual, and uh, so there's uh, more problems with them uh, that they were, you know are looking at this while they're at work and uh, mm-hmm. the workplace doesn't like this and yet they get captivated by that and uh, 
and lost in cyberspace uh, and uh, don't make very good judgments. And uh, so these are the people that we see coming into our, our office. And are, is the main reason that the men would be coming in is because someone has said, you have an issue and you need to go see somebody? Yes. Usually okay. it is triggered by uh, someone in their life, their partner, their um, uh, it's the workplace, uh, it's uh, some legal involvement. Uh, something has, uh, has uh, you know, certainly some people see the problem in themselves and they're really very frustrated or depressed about it, but oftentimes it's really being, it's the pressure from, from outside that motiv- motivates them to come in. Right. Now, another area of your expertise is sexual identity. Yeah. And I know that you worked with, I mean, because your specialty is, you know, the sexual health, the, you know, the impulse compulsive sexual behavior, but you have published in so many different things. If you were to give someone a definition of what sexual identity is, what would it be? Well, first of all, it is a concept that most people don't really understand. Mm -hmm. They usually equate sexual identity with one sexual orientation, Uh, whether they're gay, straight, uh, bisexual, in between, uh, asexual, or whatever. And uh, sexual orientation is really just one component of one's overall sexual identity. Uh, We talked about uh, transgender and and, uh, transsexual. Mm -hmm. That really refers to a person's gender identity. And uh, that is a, a very separate component of one's sexual identity than one's sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. And then there is your identification with uh, certain sex, sexual stereotypes. And uh, that is your sexual identity. Okay. And that can be very different than your gender identity or your sexual orientation. And so, and then there's a final component, and that is what your body is, uh, or what you've been born as, and uh, we call it our natal sex. And uh, so, you have four distinct components of your sexual identity, and they can, uh, they're uh, each and one of them exists on a continuum, and you can have any kind of combination of the of the four. And so you can have a a male body with a female gender identity with a female sex role and you're attracted to women. Okay. Uh, Or you can just take any one of those kinds of combinations and then you get a very distinct sexual identity that is yours alone and, and unique. And so it's a very, very complex uh, uh, concept of one's sexual identity. Now, one of the things I, you know, have looked at is the is some of the comments that Helen Fisher has made, mm-hmm. and she speaks of women's sexuality being much more, much more powerful and much more variable throughout a woman's life than um, most people had 
ever thought of. And I mean, I know for a lot of times when it comes to the first studies of sexuality, everything was very much based on a male sexual function model. Yeah. You know, so you know, it's kind of like a man gets an erect penis and then he's aroused. Well, most women don't go to this, oh, yippee, my clitoris is, you know, engorged. This is not like the same thing. But I do know that what I have seen, and you may have seen this as well, I have seen women who were married, straight, and then somewhere their sexual orientation in, you know, after 40, after 50 changed, and, they all, and they're blindsided by this mm-hmm. sometimes. They fall madly in love with a woman. Yeah. And, and that, it isn't at all what they were expecting to have happen. Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, what we have learned is that there is uh, far more uh, plasticity in sexual orientation for uh, women than there seems to be in men. Uh, Now, now why would that be? Is that the cultural thing that women are experimenting? And if men experiment, they're obviously just obviously gay? Uh. You know, we don't really know the answer to that question completely, um, but there seems to be at least some sort of biological component mm-hmm. that uh, that women just naturally uh, have more um, uh, flexibility in their their arou- their sexual arousal their they, as you say, they can be very, their arousal can be very more dependent upon who they are emotionally connected with, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, over their lifetime it might change, it might be much more fluid, um, and uh, but we also wonder about uh, social influences as well because. We women are are very socialized to be very connected with with other women as they they grow up, and there isn't any taboo about that. The intimacy between women is almost fostered rather than frowned upon. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's a, there's a real lot a lot of concern about anything. I mean, the the from early on there there's much more. Taboo for a, a, a boy that's accused for, of being for, gay, for, or right. uh, and and if they have some sort of same-sex uh, uh, feeling or experience, uh, then they're automatically labeled as such. So there's much more. Uh, much more. I, women have a lot more permission in that area. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to go to our final break. My guest tonight is Dr. Eli Coleman. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more Sex Talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. Thursday nights, get ready for the Read My Lips Tips for Success radio show with your host, Linnea Millette, at 11, 10 Central on Tugginet.com. What are the Read My Lips Tips for Success? Well, it's spelled out like this. R. Realize it is possible. E. Embrace all relationships. A. Advance through adversity. D. Develop your significance. M. Manage your health and wealth. Y. Yield to your natural abilities. L. Listen to your heart. I. 
Invest in yourself. P. Persist by taking small steps. And S. Serve others. Each week on the show, you'll find a safe haven whereby tips, insights, and strategies are shared by Linnea and her guests. Go to Linnea's website, readmylipstips.com. Then join us Thursday nights at 11, 10 p.m. Central for the Read My Lips Tips for Success radio show with your host, Linnea Millette, on toginet.com. Believe in your fairy tale to make your zing come true. I love it. Debbie Glickman and Deanna Cohen know it. Join these soul sisters on toginet.com. Believe in your fairy tale to make your zing come true. Showcases two sides. One, to help entrepreneurs showcase their products and tell their story of their happily ever after. And two, to interview people who have realized their own fairy tale and doing something to benefit others. This show is here to help folks who have an idea and want to get it off the ground, as well as to inspire people to make the world a better place by doing something extraordinary or out of the box to help others. Both of these entrepreneurs have their own businesses and websites. With more information on their past, and successes. First for Debbie, FairytaleWishesInc.com. And for Deanna, TheNextBigZing.com. Believe in your fairy tale to make your zing come true. With the Soul Sisters, Debbie Glickman and Deanna Cohen on Toginet.com. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Welcome back, everyone. Tonight, my guest is Dr. Eli Coleman, who is a professor at the University of Minnesota. He is the chair in uh, sexual health there, which is the first endowed chair in human sexuality in the U.S. And Eli, is it in the U.S. or is it in the world? It is in the world, as far as I know. Uh, that, uh, and, and I think it's really unfortunate that we only have one endowed chair in sexual health in, in, in the world. That, uh, you know, we should be having chairs of, in sexual health at, you know, at every, uh, uh, university in, in the country. But, uh, very few. I concur, and I will. I think what we should let people know is what an endowed chair actually does. I mean, I know there's. Here's what people know: they know there's a chair in things for the internuclear membrane and for cardiac health and for cancer research and for you know rheumatology and for you know children's childhood diseases. But the one area that has never had it and. You and I both know this, Eli. One of the biggest questions people want to know when there's ever any health issue is how is this going to impact my sex life? Right. So, I mean, we have our health and we have our sexual health, and this is part of it. I mean, it's part of the function of it, the pleasure of it, the enjoyment of it. So you were the driving force. When we speak of passions, (laughs) you were the driving force behind this chair getting set up and the foundation of it. And tell me, and you know, please let people know, what was your impetus for saying, I've got to create this? Well, first of all, uh, an endowed chair is, is uh, uh, a faculty position that is supported by endowment dollars that are uh, used only for that very specific 
purpose. As you say, it might be a chair in, in child uh, uh, diabetes uh, or cancer or uh, Alzheimer's research. And most positions, as the things move uh, with the economy and universities, most of the areas of study are being determined by the support from external dollars. Wow. And, they, and, and areas of research and education are being dictated because universities are bankrupt and they are needing support from the outside to support certain faculty and areas of interest. Uh-huh. So long ago I saw this, this uh, development within academia and recognized that if we did not endow positions uh, in, in human sexuality, they would be gone. I have watched tenured professors retire, die early, and those positions do not get replaced in sexuality. They get replaced by other areas that are going to generate funds, or again, there's somebody that says, we need to have research in this certain area. The Mm -hmm. problem is that human sexuality is still a critically important issue, but People, uh, it's still a stigmatized thing, and most endowed chairs are named after the donor. And people don't want to have their name associated with sexual health because somehow somebody's going to assume that they have impulsive-compulsive sexual (laughs) behavior or they're transsexual (laughs) or something else. Uh, And uh, so they're they're really afraid to, to really... Uh, even though we have patients that uh, we've completely transformed their lives as somebody has, has given them the great cure for cancer or heart disease or whatever, and they don't turn around and give back in the same way that they do for some of those other kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And well, so we have to raise the money from all sorts of different people at uh, all lo- uh, low levels of, of donations, and we put it all together, and we were able to raise uh, the money that it takes to endow. And what that does is it ensures that a university is going to be committed to that area of study in perpetuity, mm-hmm. beyond our lives. And they can't change that. And no po- political pressure or economic downturn or whatever. Right now we're in a whole terrible economic calamity. And believe me, every uh, department, every program in a university is being questioned about whether it's central to the mission and what kind of dollars that they have to support it. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Uh, it's absolutely essential that we are able to endow these positions in human sexuality. Um, and as you say, you've watched, you know, these you know, tenured professors who had, you know, these very successful programs yes. die, retire, and poof, there went their programs. Right. They, they simply weren't replaced. Now, the amount for a, an endowed chair now, in order to get it funded, as they say, the baseline amount is $2 million, correct? That's right. That's at our university. In most universities, it can be is maybe an average of 3 to $5 million. When you're looking at just living off of the interest of an endowment, mm-hmm. what 
two million you know buys today is is and it seems like a lot of money, but again you're looking at a because you, know, you don't touch the principal you're only living right. off interest you're just looking at the five percent interest that that's spinning off right right now here's now you know Dr. Coleman and I are both on the leadership council for the first endowed chair for the endowed chair and one of our other areas that we look at, you know, Eli, you said most people people do not want their name associated with the chair in, in sexual health. Um, well, I do. <laughs> and I really, I mean, one of my goals, you know, for leaving a legacy as a best-selling author, as a certified sex educator, I want to see a chair in female sexuality get created. And... I mean, it's just, that's like one of those, that's one of those things I want to do. The area that we, the chair that we are working to be funded right now is the Joycelyn Elders Chair in Sexual Health. In Sexual Health Education. Sexual Health Education, thank you. And many of you may have heard of Dr. Elder's name. She was the former Surgeon General of the U.S., and she was brought to Washington by Clinton. She had been heading up programs in Arkansas. I love her line when people say she went to Washington for a job. She says, I didn't go to Washington for a job. I had a job. (laughs) But what people also may not be aware of, Dr. Elders, coming from where she did, she watched, as she said, some of the brightest, most phenomenal young women have their entire futures wiped out because of getting pregnant at a very young age and constantly having babies. And so really what she is looking at doing and wanting to do, her focus is sexual health education to interrupt the poverty cycle. To, uh, to have these young women be able to use, you know, what they arrived here with, you know, their brains, their ability, because when they are trapped into that cycle of looking after children, they don't have any choice. And Eli, when we were um, at Dr. Elder's home, I remember her son saying he is a, uh, this, she is in, you know, Arkansas, outside of Little Rock, and her son making the comment that he, as a high school principal, sees to this day 14-year-old girls sitting in the classroom, very, very pregnant, and there goes their life. Yes, it's really, really tragic. And uh, when we started to think beyond uh, support for the the chair in sexual health supports the the director of the program, so that there will be a program uh, in the, in the future, and that there's someone dedicated to, you know, pulling all these resources together to study and teach about human sexuality. But when we started to look about the the next kind of faculty position that we really needed to fund, what is fundamental to sexual health is education. Mm-hmm. With, without education, people don't have the information that they need to get to a sexually healthy life. And or, we or have to make a, choices. We have a terribly sexually dysfunctional society, and it's because we're afraid of talking about and educating our kids, our healthcare workers, about this area of sexuality. And as you said, it's just so fundamental. 
Now, do we have a, a specific donor that was going to uh, fund this this uh, this chair? No, but uh, when we thought about who is the icon, the one that really says it the best, who has dedicated her life to this, uh, trying to re- rectify this problem. Dr. Elders really is is such a, a leader, and we wanted to honor uh, her legacy by naming this chair after her. Mm-hmm. And many people have come on board to donate in, in ways that they can to support the establishment of this chair. Now, to honor Dr. Elders' legacy and make mm-hmm. sure that we change and revolutionize the sexual health country. Well, and here's the thing. For most people, if they, you know, when they have something that, you know, is pivotal and changes their life as a result of, you know, support from something, that, as you said, is where, you know, they are willing to, you know, step up to the plate and say, you know what, I want to put, you know, something there. It, you know, it calls to my heart on this. So right. if anyone, we are going to be doing a fundraiser um, at the uh, Quad S, the Society for Scientific Study of Sexuality, Western Region. We will both be at that next week, if I'm not mistaken, Eli, um, in San Francisco. And we're going to be doing something, um, again, with Dr. Elders there. For anyone who would like, you can go on to the uh, Program in Human Sexuality site, which is www.phs.org. UMN, University of Minnesota, .edu. And there is an area there if you'd like to make a donation. And honestly, we have 30 seconds left. Eli, what else would you like to say? This has been delightful. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I just think that we need to all work on getting sexually healthier. I mean, we work on exercise and uh, and getting ahead with our careers and work on our really, but sexual health is central to to uh, our our feeling good about ourselves. Absolutely, let's all do it and let's all support the efforts of people that make that possible, including Dr. Elder. Thank you so much, Eli. A pleasure. Thank you, everyone, for being with us. Come back Thank next you week. For being a part of Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with host Lou Paget. Every week, this will be your chance to be a fly on the wall and learn about one of the most important parts of our health, our sexual health. Join Lou Paget. She